Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. We are Alex and Alicia, and this is This Month in Women's History. Mm-hmm. We are in December, and today we're talking about Muriel Siebert. That is correct. Muriel Siebert, a.k.a. the first woman of finance. Mm-hmm. She, um, she was the first woman to own a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, can you, that's awesome, but can you tell me why we're talking about her in December specifically? Absolutely. Um, we are talking about her because um, she joined the uh, 1,365 male members of the New York Stock Exchange on December 28th, 1967. As the only woman? As the only woman. Huh. Yeah. Well, um, I love her name, Muriel. I think it's very beautiful. So Muriel Faye Siebert was mm-hmm. born on September 12th, 1928, to a Jewish family in Cleveland, Ohio. She was the second of two daughters to her father, Erwin, and her mother, Margaret. Her father was a dentist. Did you know that she, excuse me, she was good at math as a child? I didn't, but I'm not surprised. Um, she actually attended Western Reserve University, which is now Case Western, um, from 1949 to 1952. During her time there, she was often the only woman in her business classes. During her time there as well, she also visited the New York Stock Exchange, and she was standing on the balcony over the traders looking at the just, like, complete chaos. And she was like, oh, this looks exciting. I mean, like, have you ever been to the New York Stock Exchange? No, but I saw video of it in Trading Places, that Eddie Murphy movie. <laughs> um, Dan Aykroyd. Okay. So I don't know. Uh, Blaine, <clears throat> our, our executive chairman, uh-huh. he um, either gave a speech or he opened the stock exchange uh, okay. in, in my tenure here at FI360. And uh, I remember watching it because they put it up on like, on all the TVs that were I mean, that we have deal. in the office, yeah, I mean that was cool. And they, but they showed all of the the madness that happens there, and mm-hmm. I was very uh, overwhelmed. By I imagine, but she thought it uh, looked very interesting and exciting. Yeah, and that's sort of her her tribe. Yeah, you know. So she told all of her friends that she'd be back to the New York Stock Exchange to ask for a job. And girl, was she? She was. So actually, in 1952, her father was unfortunately diagnosed with cancer, so she left school early to care for him and didn't get her degree. Uh, but she she decided to come to New York anyway. Um, she came with a used car and $500 yeah. in her pocket. Two years later. not yeah, two like, years. He's better at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he got better, so she was like, well, I'm going to pursue my dream. So she goes to New York in her used car and $500 in her pocket. This is... 1954. She said, and I quote, I came with $500, a Studebaker, and a dream. I mean. I love it. Yeah. Um, But when she got to New York, she found that the only jobs available to women at that time, you know, on Wall Street were being a secretary or support staff roles. And she wanted to be more than that. Yes. So here's what she did. She lied about having a college degree so that she could secure that first job training as a researcher for Bosch, yeah, Bosch and Company, uh, making $65 a week. So she was 22 at this time. Um, 22-year-old girl. Lying. Field made... For men. Solely for men at the time, made up of men. Yeah. And... (laughs) 
<laughs> she had to lie to get in. Gumption. That is. That's a that's a Banff move. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So um, she actually worked as a researcher, you know, that role for three financial services companies over the next six years. But she was so good at it that she was soon doing the job of the traders and placing stock orders for clients directly. She was paid 60% of the commissions that the men received that were in the same level of position. Barf. Just yeah, And like the fact that she knew barf. that and that was commonplace and, you know, it's like, it is what it is, you know? I mean, the pay gap is still a thing. Yeah, but it was way worse. Than... I mean, of obviously, yes, it was way she worse, would, but... The thing that really got me is that she would move to a new firm in hopes that they would pay her equally, and she always ended up getting disappointed because everybody was doing the same thing. She also discovered at this time that when she sent her resume out under the name Muriel Siebert by the New York Society of Security Analysts, it received very different results than when she sent it out as M.L. Siebert. You know, obviously a, a lady. Right, yeah. Um, yeah I was lady, thinking your lady that. brain. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that. And uh, my, I mean, like, my name is Alex. Yeah. I don't know if you know. But I my, know my real name is Alexandra. And um, there's like six different nicknames that you could possibly pull from Alexandra. And my mother specifically... Um, she wanted my nickname to be Alex because that was the most, um, gender neutral, gender neutral, but it was the most, it was the one that sounded most like a boy's name because she want specifically wanted me to have a leg up in the business world. That's a lot to think about when you're pregnant. I mean, yeah, but it's kind of genius too. Yeah. Um, I never had any choice about my nickname. It's just always been Alex. Right. But it's smart of her to notice that um, she got better results when she would send it out under ML. Right. And I mean, it's kind of disheartening, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is disheartening. You're immediately getting written off with just your name. But by the mid-1960s, she was done with that. She was tired of making less money than men. So Preach. after serving as a partner at three other financial services firms, she asked a client who is... Gerald Tsai, a famous investor, you know, hey, wh what large firm could I go to and get paid equally? And he said, you won't. Buy a seat and work for yourself. Oh, wait, that was a quote, but you didn't yes. do a, you didn't do a voice. Can he you said, do it again? Well, I sort of did. I mean, just, yeah. Okay. He said, do it as Gerald. You won't. Buy a seat <laughs> and work for yourself. <laughs> That's even worse than that. I don't know. Your Harry Truman experience. I don't know why he sounds like that, but okay. I mean, it sounds like a New Yorker. Yeah. So, I mean, like, good job for like that. A, like a blunt dude. All right. So, anyway, she she thought it was an impossible task at first, but the more she thought about it, the more she warmed up to it, and she actually ended up applying for a seat. So, of the first 10 men that she asked to sponsor her application, because uh, you have to be sponsored in order to be let in, yes. right? Uh, nine of them de denied her. The tenth said yes. The tenth, yes, did say yes. Um, her application caused quite the stir. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is that you couldn't get a seat on the New York Stock Exchange without a sponsor and without some sort of financial guarantee that you could right. afford to be there, mm -hmm. basically. Um, so they, they insisted on this, this new condition because of her, because she's a woman right 
not for any other reason. Right. Um, this new condition, before they would consider her application, they insisted that she obtain a letter from a bank offering loans of $300,000 at the near record $445,000 seat price. So basically they were saying you have to prove that you can afford your seat, your seat, mm-hmm. but we won't even look at your application until you can, you have a loan. It was basically. like a double-edged sword. Yeah. Well, she couldn't get the banks to commit to lender money until they had agreed to admit her for the seat. So it was sort of like a catch-22. Mm-hmm. It was a way to keep her out. Yeah, absolutely. But two years later, she, she persisted mm-hmm. um, and she got the loan from Chase Manhattan and, uh, Muriel, a.k.a. Uh, Mickey. Did you know that was her nickname? I love that nickname. Um, me too. So Mickey, uh, she finally was elected to membership, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, on December 28th, 1967. Which is awesome. Absolutely. Like, at this point, she's not even allowed to have her own credit card, but she has a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. It's amazing. Um, so in any event, some men thought that women had no place on the New York Stock Exchange, but there were men that bent over backwards to help her because they saw that she was serious and that she could actually do the job really well. So mm-hmm. they judged her on her performance and not her gender. Good job. As we all want to be. Yes. Judged. As that basic thing should be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so let's flash forward um, two years. So 1969, she um, actually founded her own firm, which was she called Muriel Siebert & Co. Incorporated. Uh, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Beginning, um, she by doing research for institutions and then buying and selling financial analyses. Um, and for ten years, she was the only woman out of the one thousand three hundred sixty-five men on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, she was reportedly very angry about being the only woman admitted for ten years. Right. Well, Mickey, if mm-hmm. I may. Yeah, of course. Um, I think she would prefer it. She was a bit of a spitfire. Yeah, lots she was a gumption, Lots of feistiness. So she definitely... She definitely said her piece. So I'm sure that she told many people how frustrated she was with the fact that she was the only woman admitted. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> in the early 1970s, she actually was one of the first women to battle the sexist practices that were then prevalent in Manhattan social clubs. Dude, I thought this was so awesome. Yes. When we when we read this earlier, <laughs> this is great. She arrived uh, for a board luncheon at the Union League Club. It was a meeting of the sales executive club, but because she was a woman, she was not allowed in the elevator. In the elevator. Really? Really? Um, they forced her to go through the kitchen and up the back stairs, and she was just steaming. She was so angry through this meeting that her colleagues asked her, you know, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and, and she told them and her male colleagues were mad too. And so they tried to take her down the elevator. This is called being an ally. Yeah. They tried to get her down the elevator to leave and the staff wouldn't let any of them get in the elevator if she was going to be in there. You know, like she has like cooties. Yeah. You got girl cooties. You can't get in her elevator. <laughs> They're contagious. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, anyway, her male colleagues joined her in taking the stairs and going through the kitchen exit. So think about this. All these people that are very wealthy in suits, in business attire, walking through this kitchen because one of them is a woman. But and the thing that is frustrating about this is that 
these clubs were were so important at the time in in that time period. I'm sure they. I mean, they might still be. I'm not sure, but um, <clears throat> they were really important for networking and and deal making in an informal venue. So if you're not allowed in, you're missing a huge part of the business experience. Yes, you're missing out on so many different things. Um, and and this experience, you know, that specific experience of the uh, that she had at the Union League Club. Um, and you know other ones that were similar to it led her to actually testify before government bodies about the discriminatory practices and policies of those New York social clubs. I'm sure that they all loved that. <laughs> well, I mean, um, in eventually Mickey's advocacy and and the attention that she brought to the um, those bad policies led to those social clubs to actually permit women to become members. So, and that was a direct result of her. Efforts. Right. I mean, think about how embarrassing it would be as, you know, being in um, the 1970s, like there's this movement for equality for women and you're trying to get people to invest with you. You're trying to um, maintain clients, mm-hmm. do business. And the only thing that's being brought up is this woman who testified in front of Congress about how she's not allowed into social clubs, even though she owns a seat on the New York stock exchange. Like it's a, it's a horrible place to be in from a PR standpoint. And so I think that she put the pressure on them. She shined a light on their terrible behavior and, you know, said, look, if you're not going to fix it, I will. (laughs) Another Banff move. Yeah. I mean, that's going to, that is really the mantra of her life is if you're not going to fix it, I will. Yeah, I mean, just wait. There's there are a couple of other things in here that you and I were both like, what? Yes. Yeah. So in 1977, she was actually named of, superintendent of banks for the state of New York. So she oversaw all of the banks in the state, regulating about $500 billion. And Get during, it. Yeah. Get it. And during her tenure, not one bank failed, despite failures nationwide. So when she learned that Hugh Carey, the New York governor at the time, had appointed her to the position, she thought, Mickey, you know, you're a college dropout. You've done pretty well as a college dropout. Like, good job, girl. She came a long way from lying, having to lie to get her uh, her first job in New York. That's a glow up. That is, that's a definite glow up. <laughs> that's a glow up. Um, so well, also in 1977, uh, she served as the director of New York City's Urban Development Corporation and Jobs Development Authority. You know, in all of her free time. Yeah, all, always. Uh, she resigned for both of those in 1982 to run for U.S. Senate. Right. And she ran in the Republican primary for the Senate seat of Daniel Patrick Moynihan. She finished second behind State Assemblywoman Florence Sullivan, who went on to ultimately lose to Moynihan in November 1982. So after she lost the election, she just returned to her own company where she was chairman and president to manage their business. I feel like that's, you know, a lot, just, just that in itself. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. So. so you went from three jobs to one Good job. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> anyway, l- let's talk about this because this, yeah, this, this is my favorite yeah. thing that she did. So <laughs> for too. 20 years, there was not a, a ladies restroom on the seventh floor of the New York Stock Exchange near the entrance of the luncheon club that that most of them frequented. Mm-hmm. There was no ladies' room. Women so had in to, 1987. Yes. This is 1987. Um, 
So in, in her typical fashion, if you're not going to fix it, I will. Um, <laughs> she told much what she said. She told the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange that she'd have a porta potty delivered to the location on the seventh floor if he didn't get a restroom installed by the end of the year. It was done. Yep. It was done. Um, like, okay, so at this time, for 20 years, she had to trek down a flight of stairs to use the restroom. And then back up to go back to her lunch. Yes. Yeah, so we talked about this in uh, one of our upcoming podcasts about Katherine Johnson. Yes, we did. That, I mean, I think that she had it worse. Worse. Way worse. Way worse than, you know, going up and down a flight of stairs. But uh, when you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> I can't stress enough how annoying it is to have to walk up and down a flight of stairs just to go to the bathroom like to find one yeah it's yes and so i i can't believe that they didn't do anything i mean it was an older building they probably didn't have the restrooms put in initially fine but i can't believe they didn't retrofit 20 years of having at least one woman there are going to be some women here maybe we should put a bathroom by the lunch where people eat yes you know i mean that's a common I'm place I'm not to saying every floor. I'm just saying. it. Anyway. Anyway. Mickey is the reason there's a bathroom on the seventh floor of the New York Stock Exchange. So we can all thank her. Yes. A ladies' restroom. Um, so after 20 years of going up and down the stairs, in the mid-1990s, her company, Seabert & Company, merged into a furniture holding company, which was called J. Michael & Sons, that was liquidating, thereby becoming a publicly traded company. She remained president of her firm and continued to be sought after as a commentator on phenomena and financial markets. So let's talk a little bit about her career. Yeah. Um, so of her trailblazing career, which she was absolutely a trailblazer. Yes. Um, she said, I am not going to do a voice um, because my voices are mostly like, Roz from Monsters Inc. Yzma. I I do Isma very well too, but that's very loud. I don't. Let's we're not, not do doing that. that. Okay. okay. Anyway, she Mickey said, "Quote: We were opening doors, and the doors have opened dramatically. Women are coming up very fast and running money. When I was growing up, money was not a proper subject for ladies. They don't talk that way today." End mm-hmm. quote. I don't talk that way today. I don't. No, if I necessarily agree with her. I think that when she was younger, it wasn't suitable for women to talk about money at all. I think that we have You're probably right. made yeah. a lot of progress, but we still talk to boys and girls differently about money. Absolutely. The conversation is different. Um, Which it shouldn't be. I no. mean, we should teach boys and girls the same way how to handle money, how to budget. save money, how to budget. Yeah. Uh, like we're, I personally wish that, um, my, my school in high school, uh, had shown us how to, uh, do our taxes. Mm-hmm. Balance a checkbook. Balance a checkbook. But Stick I, to a budget. Yeah. I, I would have rather have them do budgeting rather than the checkbook thing because nobody uses checks anymore. Okay. But like when we were growing up, you did. That's probably true. Yeah. They didn't have all these apps and newfangled things. <laughs> but I mean, anyway, think about it this way. Like when, with a, 
my stepdaughter, we're, we're teaching her, my daughter, we're teaching her how to budget and how, like, how much does your money get you? Yeah, the value of a dollar. Yes, because that's not something that you know without learning it, right? Right, absolutely. So, I am, as you probably know, frugal. We're going to use the word frugal and not cheap. I I do know this about you. And while I don't want her to be a miser, I also want her to understand that, hey, you've saved up this amount of money and you can either buy these toys that will break in 30 seconds or something that you'll love for years. Or you can save it. Yeah. Or you can save it or, you know, you can invest it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we sort of have those conversations in a way that makes sense to her. But I know that there are people that have different conversations with their female children versus their male children. And I never really had a conversation like that. Well, I, I mean, you have a sister, you don't have any brothers. No, I'm right, but I I never even had a conversation. Mm. Um, I can tell you from growing up with uh, my younger brothers that their conversations with my parents about pretty much everything was completely different from the conversation w- that I had with them, um, which is not great. It doesn't no. feel great, but no, and you I, know, you know, I found that. Whenever I would, when I was younger, you know, like a teenager, and I would try to talk to somebody, you know, in all seriousness about, you know, student loans, for example, or like how much college costs, they would say something to the effect of, oh, just find, just find a rich man to marry him. It's fine. Yes. And it's like, but no, I want to do it myself. Yeah. I don't just want to marry someone because of the dollar signs attached to their bank account. That's not enough for me. We should not be teaching girls that. Right. It's horrible. And I don't know if people still do, but that's what was said to me. And so it's sort of very eye-opening. And let me me ask you a question. So you, um, you know, by this time next year, you're going to have three sons. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot of kids. It's a lot. It's a a lot. But anyway, uh, so you'll have... And a daughter, yes. So you'll have four children. Mm-hmm. Um, your eldest is a daughter, and then you have uh, three boys. Mm-hmm. Will you have the same conversations with them that you're having with your daughter yes. about money? Yeah. The the conversations we've had with her are not colored by her body parts. They're you know they're not they're not changed because of her gender. They're they're conversations that you have with another human being who's learning about money and it doesn't matter whether they're a boy or a girl um i think the things that they're interested in buying will be different absolutely but or the things that they're doing they're, they're doing with their money right will be different i i mean that's four different personalities i'm sure that you'll have you'll run the spectrum yeah yeah but i'm i don't think the conversation in its meat will be any different because it's Sort of just a a general conversation about how this works. But one of the things that I'm going to do, and this is sort of off topic, is nobody sat me down and said, hey, if you go to this independent, private, liberal arts school, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars a year out of pocket. And then you're going to have loans for this much. So when you graduate, you're going to have this much total loans and debt. 
And here's the chances of you getting a job that are going to make this much money. Yes. That, that was never that conversation either. never happened with me. And I mean, I, there are things that I would not have gotten from a different school in terms of my education and my friendships. And you know, I wouldn't change my education for anything, but that conversation would have been nice. Yes. And I could have gone in two years later. I could have gone to a, like a CCAC or like a community college. Yeah, yeah. They don't um, know what that means. It's a community college. It's a community college. Um, you know, I could have gone to a community college or I could have gone to a... Um, yeah, like a state school. A state school for the first two years and gotten all those like prerequisite sort of things state out of the way. schools and, and community colleges are great. They have great programs and great curriculums. And great education. I mean, yes. And I had a friend that... I mean, at the time, I sort of pitied her because she did that, but she's paid off her student loans, like, a long time ago, and I'm not going to be paying them off for a while. Yeah, I know. So, I agree with you. Somebody should definitely have that conversation with, like, juniors in high school. Well, you know? I think, like, freshmen. I mean, I you know, whenever you decide to do it, do it, but that should it definitely be a part of that happen. finance class that we think that every high school should have, where they talk yeah, about... Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um... Because are we let's let's migrate off of student loans and college because <laughs> you and I get going when yeah. we talk about student loans. Predatory practices. <laughs> we're I mean we're in our we're millennials and so we're we're just buried in student loans. We're just buried in debt. Yeah. Anyway, let's um let's talk a little bit about um, Muriel Siebert's advocacy. She did a lot. So she had a lot of philanthropy that she did. Um, and for women and minorities yes. in particular, um, which is just perfect for our yeah. purposes. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So she was quoted as saying, and I quote, I'm not going to do a voice. All right. Fine. American business will find that women executives can be a strong competitive weapon against Japan and Germany and other countries that still limit their executive talent pool to the male 50% of the population. This is in the way back. That yeah. Said this. That's back in the day. It was back in the day. Yeah, we're, yeah. <laughs> she also said, and I quote, men at the top of industry and government should be more willing to risk sharing leadership with women and minority members who are not merely clones of their white male buddies. Preach. In these fast-changing times, we need the different vo- viewpoints and experiences. We need the enlarged talent bank. The real risk lies in continuing to do the things the way we've always done them, End quote. Insanity. That's the definition of insanity is mm-hmm. doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I, I think I'm in love with her. I <laughs> love that. I mean, I don't necessarily like the Japan and Germany part of that quote. I uh, think that that but, was in a time when we were really competing with Japan well, and Germany. Absolutely, and yes. That's like not a thing anymore. Well, no. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think that we're both in agreement. Uh, the Bridge Initiative um, specifically for women in finance, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, that's our goal, right? Is mm-hmm. to have equal representation in the industry. Um, and that includes at, ex- at the executive level. Yeah. And, um, so in 1990, she created the Siebert and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial philanthropic plan. That's Goodness. A, that's a, that's a lot of words, hefty. um, <laughs> through which she shared half of her firm's profits from new securities underwriting with charities of the issuer's choice. That is huge. It's so cool. This program offers buyers of new securities a chance to help charities in their communities. 
through 2006, more than $5 million had been contributed through this program. $5 million. Yeah. That's amazing she to, to the that. issuer's choice. That's, I mean, that's so cool. And that's just like this, it goes hand in hand with, um, you know, the next thing on our list of many things to talk about. Yeah. Um, she served as president of New York Women's Agenda in 1988, rather. And during her term, um, she developed a program advocating financial literacy for women um, that she continued to advocate for until her death. I cannot stress this enough. You know, we don't, as a society, have the right conversations with kids mm-hmm. about money um, and debt and what that means, but specifically girls. Yeah. And so for them to have this financial literacy for women is amazing because it really fills a need. You know, there are many people probably like me that never had a conversation about the value of a dollar and what does your, like, what are the intelligent things to do with your money instead of spending it all on nothing? But even more than that, like, what are the basic things? Like, what are the basic terminology? Because finance has a lot yeah. of jargon. What is in investing? It. What does yeah. it mean if you invest your money? Yeah. How I mean, do you invest? You go into a bank. I mean, so I worked as a teller yeah. um, at PNC Bank a long, long time ago. Um, but there was, you know, as a kid, I was 18, 19 years old when I worked there. And there was so much jargon and people would come in and they would say all of these letters. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah. I don't know what any of this means, you know, um, which ties into um, something else that Mickey did in 1999. Um, she developed the personal finance program, which is a financial management skills program that is taught in all of New York City's high schools. Yes. That needs to be a requirement in every single high school mm-hmm. nationwide. Mm-hmm. Well, we were just talking about this. Somebody needs to talk to kids about money. Mm-hmm. And debt. And debt, yeah. And how, what do you do with your money? And, you know, I, I think we would have a lot more knowledgeable people in terms of their finances if we, if we taught them in high school. But yeah. Back to Mickey. She sat on the boards of several philanthropies, including the Economic Club of New York, the New York State Business Council, the Greater New York Council of the Boy Scouts of America, the Guild Hall Museum, and more. In honor of her 30th birthday, excuse me, anniversary, not birthday, (laughs) in honor of her 30th anniversary on the New York Stock Exchange, she rang the closing bell on January 5th, 1998. Likewise, on December 28th, 2007, exactly 40 years after her election to membership on the New York Stock Exchange, she rang the closing bell in celebration as well. In 1994, Mickey was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, Mm. and her autobiography, Changing the Rules, Adventures of a Wall Street Maverick. It's Maverick Mickey. Yeah. I mean, let's let's hashtag that. Yeah. Hashtag Hashtag Maverick Mickey. Maverick Mickey. Um, It was, uh, sorry, it was co-authored by Amy Lee Ball. Um, That was published in 2002. I, I actually saw this documentary called risk and reward mm-hmm. um it was put out in 2003 and she was actually on it she's interviewed in it interesting um so it was about it was it about out. women on wall street yeah um in the aftermath of hurricane katrina in september 2005 and hurricane gustav in september 2008 
she announced that her company would sell stock that was donated to the American Red Cross without taking a commission. In 2009, she was inducted into the Junior Achievement U.S. Business Hall of Fame. And on May 21st, 2010, uh, Mickey was honored at Wagner College during the 123rd graduation ceremony with an honorary doctorate. Uh, so she got her, her college degree. You know, in an all. extra college degree. She's been awarded 17 honorary doctorates. That's amazing. So, I mean, she's well-educated if you just look at that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, she went from having no college degree and having to lie to get her first job yeah. to having 17 doctorates. That's... So incredible. One of the things that I really love about her is that she never married or had children. And she was known for having her pet chihuahua named Monster Girl with her at all times. And at some at one point, you know, obviously Monster Girl passed away. She gets another pet chihuahua and names her Monster Girl 2. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like me naming my cars Gloria 1 and Gloria 2 and Gloria 3. I love it. Except actual you know, animals, like bees. Yeah. So on August 24, 2013, she passed away at the age of 84 from complications of cancer at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. She was 80 years old. In 2016, yep. um, Siebert Hall at the New York Stock Exchange was dedicated in honor of Mickey. Um, this was the first time a room at the New York Stock Exchange was named after an individual, not a woman. So she went, just to make sure I understand. Yeah. She went Wrap it up from me. not being allowed in to being the only person to ever have a room named after her at the New York Stock Exchange. Person. Person. Personhood. Not, Person. not womanhood. Personhood. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, Mickey was known to, to her absolute delight as a scrapper. I think that's <laughs> very accurate. Uh, she... She donated millions of dollars um, over her lifetime from her brokerage and securities underwriting business to help other women and, and, and girls get their start in business and finance. You can't see me right now, but I'm like... Preach. Yes. You and I have both been doing that with like the <laughs> like Christina the Aguilera hand in the air preach. Oh. <laughs> when she was honored for her efforts in 1992, she warned that it was still too soon to declare victory for women's equality on Wall Street. And I quote... Firms are doing what they have to do legally, she said. But women are coming into Wall Street in large numbers and they are not still making partner and are not getting into the positions that lead to executive suites. There's still an old boy network. You just have to keep fighting. Let's talk about this for a minute. Okay. Um, so this was 1992 that um, she had this quote. We, as uh, I'm, I'm sure that you know, um, are in the finance industry. I, I do you, um, you know, do you still think that this thinking is prevalent? You know, what almost thirty years? Almost thirty years. So we are in the financial industry, but we're not in. We're firms. like we're like financial industry adjacent. Yeah. So I I can't give a personal mindset on it, but I can tell you what I've read and. Um, you know, I've seen studies and whatnot, and I, I think that it's better, but we still have somewhere to go. You know, we have some more to grow in terms of getting women into the C-suite. I um, I think that you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, while 
while we at FI360 might not be um, advisors, we might not be brokers or, you know, out there in the finance industry actually interacting with, you know, clients or or, or anybody else, um, the, the people that and the women that our sister podcast, um, A Little Louder Now, are interviewing, you know, Tara and Robbie are over there interviewing women in the financial industry who are advisors who are out there. And I think that they're echoing that sentiment that it's getting better and it has gotten better, but we still have a little bit of ways to go yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, so I think that it's still a, a applicable quote, but it's just not, a, shouldn't be as scathing as she is now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, this one, um, just this last thing that she as it, are you referring to Maverick Muriel? Maverick Muriel. Mickey. Yes, Maverick Mickey. Um, this thing that she said, I just thought it was so funny. She once described her strategy for dealing with obstacles. She said, I put my head down and charge. That is... That's, no truer words have been spoken. That is true trailblazer yes. um, thinking right there. So let's toast to Mickey. Yes, she was to Muriel, Mickey, Siebert, Maverick Mickey, if you will. Those are a lot of words. Was a true, she's a true pioneer, glass mm-hmm. shatter, trailblazer for women in finance, and all around awesome human being. Mickey. Thank you, Alicia, for this great conversation about you are uh, Maverick Mickey uh, Siebert. Thank you, listeners, for um, taking some time to listen to us. Um, again, this is A Little Louder Now by The Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. Um, Thank you for talking about amazing Mickey. You are, um, you are very welcome. You didn't need to thank me twice. I mean, I, I was just, I'm just so excited about Mickey that I thought I should thank you twice. I feel like I should thank you. I mean, that's probably, I mean, anyway, stay tuned for more <laughs> podcasts featuring great women from all sorts of industries. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. Email us at bridge at fi360.com. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at fi360bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a, a little, little louder, louder now. now.